readings from Psalm 103, from verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for, for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, o you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Thanks, Lisa. If you'd like to keep that passage open in front of you, and we'll look at that together. And as we do that, uh, let's pray and ask for God's help. Our Father, we thank you for this time to gather around your word now. We pray that as we do, you would lift our eyes to you, um, that you would open our ears to hear what you have to say to us and open our hearts to receive your word. Well, um, I'm not sure how many of you stayed up for the bells. There's a few bleary eyes uh, around the, the room this morning. Uh, uh, last night we did uh, pretty much our, our usual, uh, which is very rock and roll. We turned on the, the BBC Scotland's Hogmanay show at 10 o'clock last night and uh, watched a very uh, enthusiastic Edith Bowman present uh, the, the kind of events leading up to the Bells where she interviewed various uh, celebrities on the Scottish scene. Um, we had uh, the curler, uh, e. Muirhead, uh, uh, we had uh, Ailish McColgan, the runner, and Lyndon Dykes, the, the Scottish uh, centre-forward. And uh, after all that, we heard from Lewis Capaldi, the singer. Uh, and as uh, Edith was interviewing Lewis uh, Capaldi, she, was, uh, she said to him, Lewis, you must have uh, the most exciting 2023 ahead of you. You've, you've just surpassed Ed Sheeran in the streaming charts. You've got all sorts of amazing things that are going to be happening in the year ahead. He said, yes, yeah, not lots to look forward to. And then uh, it was kind of lost. Uh, it was quickly uh, kind of, Edith quickly moved on. But he then said, yeah, but quite worried as well. 
I mean, none of us know what's going to happen in 2023. Um, that kind of killed the mood for a second, but she, she moved on. I wonder how you're feeling about the new year. Uh, maybe you go into this year full of enthusiasm, full uh, of excitement. You might not be passing Ed Sheeran in the streaming charts, but you might have all sorts of things that, that are, are planned in the year ahead. Maybe you've uh, got off to uh, your exercise regime for the new year already uh, on my way here this morning. Uh, I'd like to say I cycled here uh, this morning. Uh, I, I cycled past a few joggers uh, who were already out uh, starting their, their fitness regime for 2023. Um, or maybe you've got some, some big plans, maybe a family holiday or a big life event uh, that you're, you're looking forward to. Or, or maybe you're looking at the year ahead and uh, a bit like Lewis, you're, you're a little worried. Uh, after all, we don't know what's going to happen, do we? Uh, and maybe that's something that weighs on you. We're living through challenging times and we seem to be confronted with one bad news story after another. Uh, or maybe you go into to this year feeling a bit low. Uh, you know, it's a difficult time of year. Uh, January in Scotland, it takes a, it's a bit of an endurance uh, test to get through. And uh, you might be coming into this year just a bit flat and, and struggling with things. Well, whether you're full of enthusiasm or full of discouragement or somewhere in between... The, the start of a new year is a good moment to think about how as Christians we can approach the year ahead drawing on the resources that God has given us to live faithfully in 2023. But what does that actually look like? What does it look like to cultivate an inner life that shapes our response to the ups and the downs that we will inevitably face in the year ahead. Well, that's what Psalm 103 is all about. Now, if you notice at the beginning of this psalm, we're told that it's a psalm of David. David was a king. He was a huge figure in the history of Israel. He'd been used powerfully by God to deliver his people on numerous occasions. He's someone who God even describes as a man after my own heart. He's someone who knew what it was to experience close intimacy with God. And yet, if anyone had reason to be weighed down by his circumstances and consumed by painful memories, it was David. After all, he was responsible for much of the pain that he experienced. He had been guilty of taking another man's wife as his own. He'd taken Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, one of his most faithful soldiers. And then he'd arranged for Uriah to be killed. He had been guilty of incredible evil, the kind of stuff that would easily be enough to consume somebody with guilt for the rest of their lives. How could David possibly live with himself after something like that? How does anyone? survive that kind of guilt? Well, it all has to do with the words of this psalm. The key to overcoming destructive emotions in our lives is to lift our eyes from ourselves and to set them on God. And that is what David does. He calls on his soul to praise his Savior. 
If you look with me at verse 1, it's the secret to a renewed life. David sings, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now this psalm is bracketed at the beginning and the end with a call to bless the Lord. Now what does it mean to bless the Lord? Isn't God supposed to bless us? Well, well, that word bless, it means to speak well of. But more than that, it's, it means to speak well of in the highest sense. To speak of someone in the most glowing terms. To praise them, to, to elevate them, to, to focus on them. And David's call is to focus on the Lord with his soul with his whole being. Everything that he is, is to be devoted to the praise of the Lord. His thoughts, his words, his actions, everything is to bless the Lord. Notice that he is calling on himself to bless the Lord. He is talking to himself. Now they say that talking to yourself is the first sign of madness. But in the Bible, Talking to yourself about God is a surefire sign that you are thinking straight. In his book, Spiritual Depression, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes that we spend too much time listening to ourselves and not enough time talking to ourselves. Our thoughts, our, our feelings can deceive us. Uh, they can fill us with all sorts of ideas that simply are not true. Lies. Lies that the devil tells us that run counter to the truths of the gospel. Lies that leave us experiencing feelings of guilt for sins already forgiven. Or unfounded fears about the future that run counter to the promises that God has made. Fears that forget his sovereign rule over our lives. In order to get our thinking straight, we need to make sure that we are talking to ourselves. And that's what David does here. He talks to his soul. He addresses it directly, forcefully, with the truths of the gospel the truths of who the Lord is. Notice, Lord is in block capitals. And whenever you see Lord in block capitals in the Bible, that is a reference to God's covenant name, Yahweh. It's the name that God used with his people Israel. It's a name that reminded them of his covenant promises and of this special relationship that they enjoyed with him. And it's a name that speaks of intimacy, a name that tells us that God, the creator of the universe, can be known, tells us that he loves his people. What we have in this psalm is an example of biblical meditation. Now, popular meditation techniques, they focus on emptying the mind. By focusing on the present moment, paying attention to the rhythm of your breathing or the, the, the feeling of your fingertips. Biblical meditation, on the other hand, it's about filling the mind, filling it 
with the truth of God's word, meditating on God's promises, remembering who he is and what he's done until our hearts, our souls are fired with that truth. Until those truths warm our affections and shape our experience and shift our perspective away from our present circumstances and onto the God that we praise. But what are those truths? What truths do we need to remember as we face difficult times and wrestle with negative emotions? What do we need to be reminded of if we are going to live lives that are characterized by peace and contentment and confidence this year? Well, if you look with me again at verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul and forget not all his benefits. Tim Keller writes, so much fear, anger, anxiety, and discouragement is wholly due to my forgetting God's benefits, forgetting all God has given me and promised me in Christ. We need to remember God's benefits. God's good gifts of grace. And David lists them throughout this psalm. He praises God from the depths of his soul as the one, verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity. Imagine how sweet that truth must have been for David to remember. That despite the terrible depths of sin that he had sunk to, Yahweh, the Lord, forgave all his sins that there was nothing, not even murder or adultery, nothing that couldn't be forgiven when David turned to God in faith and repentance. In a world of cancel culture, where somebody's sin is held up for public shame, where there's no grace, no forgiveness, isn't that a tremendous message for our world to hear? That the God of the universe is able to forgive all your iniquity. The bad things we do and the good things that we fail to do. God sees it all and he forgives. And he's the one who heals all diseases. The glorious future hope for the Christian is that one day our sin-cursed world will be renewed. And on that day, there will be no more illness, no more disease. God has promised that one day healing will come for all his people. It's a wonderful thing to think. There's so many things that we we struggle with in this world. You know, the last few years, there's been a massive uh, attention on struggles with mental health. And if you're in that situation, you can be wondering, is this ever going to end? Am I ever going to get through this? Well, we know for sure that there is a day coming when there will be no more illness, for we will be released from these things. And how were forgiveness and healing possible? Well, because, verse 4, of God's steadfast love and mercy The God who made a covenant with his people, he promised to love them 
he promised to be merciful to them. And that's why David could go on, verse 5, to speak about the, the promise of satisfaction and renewal. It's a satisfaction that comes when we know at the deepest level that we are loved by God. That He forgives the sins of our past and that He has promised us a secure future. There is nothing in this world that can give us that kind of satisfaction, only the God of steadfast love. Dane Ortland writes, growth in the Christian life is the process of bringing your sense of self, your swirling internal world of fretful panic arising out of gospel deficit into alignment with the more fundamental truth that the Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Despite all the power, all the wealth, all the fame that David had at his disposal, none of that could do anything to bring him true and lasting satisfaction and freedom from guilt. It was only knowing that God loved him that could do that. David's sinful past, it didn't define the rest of his life. He was able to experience satisfaction and renewal as he remembered God's forgiveness, his steadfast love and mercy. And as he sings these truths to his soul, he then sings them to God's people. In verse 6 to 8, he recalls the, this story of the Exodus the story of God's miraculous rescue of his people from slavery in Egypt, and this wonderful promise that God gave to Moses in Exodus chapter 34 that we see repeated here in this psalm in verse 8, that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The story of Israel, much like the story of David and much like our own story, was one of rejection of God despite God's incredible rescue. In fact, the amazing thing about these words in verse 8 of Psalm 103, uh, these, this quote from Exodus 34, was that they were first uttered by God to Moses just after Israel had formed a golden calf to worship instead of the God who'd saved them. And yet, even in the midst of that, God reiterated his commitment to his people that he would be merciful. And here in this psalm, we see that incredible promise that God, verse 10, does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Instead, we experience grace. And in verse 11 to 12, we have two mind-blowing images of height and distance that describe the magnitude of God's grace. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. So David paints this picture of a, a height that is impossible to scale. And he said, that's how great God's steadfast love is. And then he goes on to give an image of distance. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. 
Now, uh, I started out life in the highlands of Scotland in a village called Betty Hill, which is a village of 300 people on the very north coast of the Scottish mainland. And to get anywhere, you had to travel on a single track road. Uh, so when we headed on holiday and we packed up the Ford Fiesta back in the early 80s when there were no seatbelts in the back, uh, and we had our, all our stuff packed around us, me and my two brothers in the back and my mum and dad in the front, we would set off to the Lake District, which might as well have been on the other side of the planet. It took about three and a half hours just to get to Inverness. And with three young boys in the back saying to my parents, are we nearly there yet? You can imagine my dad as he gripped the steering wheel focusing on getting to that destination. Well, here, David paints an image of a destination that can never be reached. That no matter how hard we might try, we can never get to the end of it. And that is a wonderful thought. Our sins, once God removes them, are at an unreachable destination. As far as the east is from the west. We can torture ourselves for sins of our past that have already been forgiven. But as far as God is concerned, once he removes our sins, they are dealt with. That's it. Once and for all. If we could only get God's perspective on our sin, we would save ourselves a great deal of heartache. And if we could take hold of the next image that David gives us, well, that would radically alter our relationship with God. David moves from two images that speak of God's magnitude to, to an image of closeness, of intimacy. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. You know, it's so easy for us as Christians to relate to God as a boss that we need to perform for. So if we have a good day of obedience and we feel like we've done well, uh, we might feel good about ourselves. And what we think, you know, maybe we've somehow met God's standard. But if we have a bad day, we feel as though God must be just totally fed up with us. But that is to misunderstand how God relates to his people. He's a father who has compassion on his children. He's the best kind of father because he delights in his children. His love is not conditional on their performance. He loves us whether we're having a good day or we're having a bad day. That's because he knows, verse 14, our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows everything about us. He knows our weaknesses, and yet he loves us. He forgives us. He adopts us into his family. He invites us into an intimate relationship. He loves to hear our prayers as we call out to him. It's wonderful, isn't it, that God doesn't just forgive our sin and leave it there. No, he invites us to know him as a father. 
And he promises us a share in his inheritance, an inheritance that will last forever. In verse 15, David reminds us of the fleeting nature of life. We read there, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. It's an image first of life as beautiful. You might flourish like a flower of the field. Our lives may be full. Maybe full of beauty, full of happiness, full of great memories. But they're brief. Soon we'll be gone. And it won't be long before we're forgotten. But in contrast to that, verse 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. We live for a short time, but the wonder of God's mercy is that our frail and and fleeting lives are given an eternal hope. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. For those who fear Him, that's those who, who trust in God. Our lives take on a a significance and meaning that they never had before. Because of God's mercy, we have a glorious eternity to look forward to. And that truth, well, that ought to put all our present struggles into perspective. This is a, a beautiful psalm. As David praises God and he calls his people to to praise him too, we're reminded that our past, our present, our, our future are in the hands of the God of steadfast love. The God who rules over all things, verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And the only right response to such amazing grace is to praise the one who rules all things in heaven and on earth. And that's what David calls for in these remaining verses. Verse 20, bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. God deserves our praise. And when we praise him like David does here, our whole perspective shifts. But we have far more reason, even than David did, to praise God. And that's because of who this psalm ultimately points to. You see, the Lord, who is merciful and gracious, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, he's also a God who is just and holy. As he utters his words to Moses in Exodus 34, he promises him that he must judge. We read in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. As a holy God, 
He must judge. He must punish sinful people. And yet when these words are quoted in verse 8 of Psalm 103, they are followed up with verse 9. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Now how do we reconcile that? How can God be both just and merciful? How can he both punish and forgive? Well, the answer is found in the one who fulfills this psalm, Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, he sent his Son from the heights of heaven to the depths of the cross. On the cross, Jesus bore the punishment for sin so that we could be forgiven for all our iniquity, so that our sins might be removed as far as the east is from the west. In Jesus Christ, we see the infinite love of God. There is no greater demonstration of his love than what we see at the cross. And it's in him that we find the answer to the deepest needs of our hearts. It's as we bless him with our souls, as we praise him with everything that we are, it's then that we experience a peace and satisfaction and joy that only he can give. So as you go into 2023, can I encourage you to set your eyes on Jesus, to bless him with your soul. Meditate on who he is and what he has done for you. You might want to take this as your psalm for 2023, to take time to, to read it and to reflect on it. Uh, ask God's Spirit to, to apply these truths to your heart as you lift your eyes to Him. Maybe you could take some time to, to, to list God's benefits to you, all the ways that He has shown His goodness to you, and then thank Him for those things. Maybe you could share that with somebody else. Just as David sings this out to the people, maybe you could sing out God's goodness to others around you. You know, imagine what it would look like if we took this to heart. Imagine if every time we felt fear or anger or, or bitterness or anxiety, if every time we experienced disappointment and discouragement in 2023, we came to meditate on God's truth. If we address those emotions head on with the truths of the gospel, imagine the impact that that would have on our lives and on the life of our church. Imagine the way that that would shape our responses to trouble and hardship. Imagine the perspective that that would give us on our lives and on our sense of purpose this year. Imagine the impact it would have on our, our non-Christian friends and neighbors and colleagues as they saw people who weren't shaped by their circumstances, but by the one who is Lord over their circumstances. Imagine the witness that would be to them as they saw people who were so different and yet so attractive that they long to know the one, the only one, who can truly give peace 
and satisfaction and joy in 2023, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace, for your steadfast love and mercy. And we praise and thank you for the way that you have poured that out ultimately in Jesus Christ, the one who went to the cross to bear our punishment so that we might know forgiveness, so that we might know what it is to be adopted into your family and share in the inheritance that he has won. Lord, we don't know what 2023 holds, but we know you hold 2023. And so we pray that you would help us to trust you, to look to you. By your Spirit, Lord God, would you prompt our hearts every time we're tempted to look away, to look to you. And Lord, would we encourage one another to do that as well. When we're struggling, when we're uh, see brothers and sisters having a hard time for various things, Lord, would, would our desire be to, to encourage them to look to you? And Lord, we pray that as we come to this table now, we thank you for uh, the bread and wine that you have given us as a visible reminder to us of your grace and your mercy, as a way of physically lifting up our eyes to you, to be reminded of what Jesus Christ has done. Lord, would you bless our time around this table now as we come to it. In Jesus' name, amen.